Welcome to Cannabis Health Radio, a podcast where we share stories from people around the world who are using cannabis as medicine. The information is meant to raise awareness about the health benefits of cannabis, which should not be taken as medical advice. Now, here are your hosts, Ian Jessup and Corey Yelland. And welcome to another episode of Cannabis Health Radio. I'm Ian Jessup. And I'm Corey Yellen. Before we begin, just a reminder to check out and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We can also be heard on Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. Our guest today suffered from testicular cancer in his younger years with an additional tumor just below his heart. He was told that if he didn't have surgery and chemotherapy, he only had six months to live. But there's so much more to his story, so we'll let him take us through it. And joining us from England is Michael, who does not want us to use his last name. Michael, take us back to 1979 and tell us the story of your cancer. Uh, hi, Ian. Hi, Corey. Hi. Um, okay. Um, 79, um, rather suddenly started to have severe pain and sweats in the middle of the night. Um, cut a long story short, um, ended up uh, with a specialist doctor um, who diagnosed um, the need for uh, an operation f- uh, fairly quickly. Now, you had a tumour just below your heart as well, correct? That wasn't um, found in the initial stage. So they suspected and tested um, and obviously removed, well, not obviously, but they did. They removed one of my testicles. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started the follow-up um, at London Hospital where they found the second tumour. I see. So you had the same thing that Lance Armstrong had. Correct. Yeah. Now, they found a second tumour. Tell us about that. Take us through that. Very uh, little was said about it. Um Basically, they sent me uh, around for various tests. They sent me uh, to a fertility clinic, which was mildly amusing, um, because half, <laughs> literally I'd been at this clinic um, for a very short time, like uh, 10 minutes, um, only to receive a knock on the door to be told, don't bother, the doc- doctor wants to talk to you again uh, now. Went back to see the doctor in this fertility clinic. He said, I've just had a call from the hospital. Uh, They've told me you're wasting your time and you're to go back to them immediately, which I did. Mm. Um, On arriving back at this other hospital in London, the uh, doctor sat me down and said, sorry about that. That was all a waste of time, but we didn't realize it at the time. Now we do know it was a waste of time. Um, We have found a second tumor uh, under your heart. Um, We do not consider it operable. And I'm afraid there is a need for you to have chemotherapy starting tomorrow. Mm. Great. So, and it was as blunt as that. There was no, you know, no holding back. No, it was, you know, no, no half hour chat. Uh, and to which I replied, okay, so what are my options here? Uh, he then said, I'm afraid your option is that you either take our treatment or we do not feel that you have more than six months to live. Wow. But you eventually had surgery, though, didn't you? No, I only had the surgery for the removal of the testicle. Ah. Uh, what they were hoping was that the 
tumor under my heart would shrink with the uh, chemo. And uh, they said that I probably would need to have uh, the remainder of the tumour removed at the end of the chemo, but they would have to wait and see what happened. Michael, was this a metastasis from the testicular cancer or was this a completely different cancer? I have no idea, Corrie. Did they have any idea? <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, all I can tell you is that at the time when this all happened, the amount of knowledge that I was given and information was minimal. Um, when I... Um, so I found out more about it later because I'll be honest with you, when I, I, I can't, when I was out of chemo and um, I used to go for checkups uh, every three months, then six months, then yearly. And um, a few years ago, um, I was having my annual checkup and they said to me, when you finished, would you mind having a chat with one of the specialists? And I said, yep, not a problem. He said, right, you've been off uh, chemo now for an extremely long time and we're no longer going to do any more annual follow-ups. You're of an age where, sorry, but you're not eligible anymore. Uh, he said, but I'd like to ask you a few questions, he said, because you're in the group of last man standing. And I said, that doesn't sound good. Tell me more. He said, well, when you had your treatment... Um, we were very much in the early stages of offering the type of chemo that you guys had. And by you guys, he meant that I was in a particular ward where pretty well everybody in the ward had testicular cancer. And we were all guys between 20 and 30. Mm -hmm. Now, whilst I was being treated, I saw quite a few sheets pulled over heads in the middle of the night. And he said to me, OK, right, well, this was because the level that you were receiving of chemo would not be even considered today. How you guys survived it at all is a miracle. Um, but fortunately, some of you did, uh, of which you're one of them. Um, but, you know, it, it, today the treatment is nothing like the treatment that you had in those days. So, you know, good on you that you're here and you've survived. Um, but you know, that, those are the facts. Now I knew none of this in the days when I was having it. Nobody said this is, you know, <laughs> experimental or, you know, early days of the treatment, nothing. We were told nothing. So we were just, you know, you know, didn't let you know you were the guinea pig. We were the guinea pigs. Yeah, we were. How old we were. were you, Michael, at this time? Late twenties. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Late twenties. Now we're with with this tumor. Twenty five, actually. Twenty five. With this tumor uh, underneath your heart, were you feeling any discomfort at all? No. So you had no, no idea that you had the tumor. It wasn't bothering you. No. Nothing at all. So you underwent this uh, extreme chemotherapy, managed to survive. What was life like for you uh, after that? It took me a fair time to recover. I was very fortunate because the secondary tumor under my heart shrunk to a size that they considered wasn't worth the risk of surgery. And they felt it was, um, you know, hopefully going to stay at its very small size and that the cells were not increasing. So they didn't wish to operate 
uh, and was told that there was, you know, go and leave, live your life. Um, so, yeah, it took me quite a long time to get back to feeling remotely human again. Um, but, yeah, I carried on and um, went back to work and, you know, went on with life as normal. It was only 18 months later that um, I got a call from the hospital asking me to repeat a blood test that I'd had. That I alarm bells started to ring, uh, only to be told about a month or six weeks later after weekly tests that the markers were increasing. Um, and so obviously not a good sign. Mm-hmm. What was your state of mind like when you went through that? Not good. I thought, oh, my God, here we go again, you know. Um, but I thought at this point I was thinking I really do not want to go through that again. So I looked to alternative therapies and um, found somebody extremely local, strangely, who was a kinesiologist who saw me and uh, treated me and treated me with a very positive attitude. So I th- in truth, I think he treated as much my head as he did my body. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, I, went, I had so many different things with him, acupuncture, reflexology, uh, stuff that, and, and powders that I haven't got a clue what they were. He never told me. He just said, take this once a day, three times a day, whatever. Uh, and I used to go to see him twice a week. And um, after... A period of time i can't remember it was weeks i think another six or seven weeks at least i had a call from the hospital saying can you just tell us what you're doing and i said why are you going to tell me to come in now and have chemo and they said no the opposite we don't understand how your blood tests could have done what they've done because they've gone from a rising graph to zero wow and wow. Um, i said well <laughs> I can point you in the direction of my kinesiologists, which they did. They sent a specialist to see him um, and go through it. And they then started to send uh, cancer patients who were virtually at death's door to him. Uh, and he said, the trouble with it is they only send these people to me when they can't do anything else. And of course, that's not the way to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. So after that, you, uh, you were well and uh, life went on, but you entered a period in the late 80s where you had these attacks that uh, left you unconscious, unconscious at, on occasions. What, uh, what happened there? Yeah, so that was all of a sudden. So yeah, I, I went on with life as normal, and uh, then, well, and the other rather strange thing was that... Um, I had children and I had been told categorically I would never have children because I was infertile. And uh, so I, yeah, I had kids <laughs> uh, against all odds. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, then one day, all of a sudden, I had uh, like a fainting attack. Um, but it was rather unusual because um, when I realized that I was going to faint, I lay on the ground and fortunately, a work colleague was with me and I went bright red. My skin went red. My eyes went red. I couldn't speak properly. And obviously, the person that was with me thought I was having a heart attack or an epileptic fit. Um, anyway, this was the start of several attacks and the starts of investigative 
medical stuff to find out what the hell was going on. What was going on? (laughs) Well, they thought it was epilepsy. So I went through numerous tests for epilepsy. And I don't know why, but every time I went for a test, I said, I don't know why I'm having this because I haven't got epilepsy. (laughs) I just didn't think I had. I just, you know, was convinced that I hadn't it. It was something else. Um, But again, numerous tests. And then eventually they gave up and said, we're going to send you to St. Mary's Hospital uh, for rare diseases because we do not know what is going on here. And um, within an hour of being in St. Mary's, a specialist saw me and said, oh, my God, you got uh, to carry a pigmentosa. I haven't seen this for a very, very long time. I've got some medical students here. Would you mind if I bring in some photographers and these students to have a look at you? And I thought, oh, great. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Anyway, um, so that's when, you know, that that diagnosis was made. Then they did more tests after that. And um, basically to find out what the implications were of the urticaria pigmentosa. And... Then they said, right, I'm afraid you, we, we need to send you to a specialist. There is only one specialist, and he's at St. Thomas's in London. Um, you need to go to see him, and he will give you your results. So I went to see this gentleman. Just before you do that, uh, Michael, yep. I just want to tell listeners that uh, urticaria pigmentosa is uh, too many mast cells in the skin causing discolored lesions and itchy skin. And uh, mast cells are created by too much histamine in the body. Sorry to interrupt, but go ahead. No, no, absolutely. So the specialist uh, informed me that I had this condition known as mastotitosis, said it was a considered a rare disorder for which there was no cure. Michael, did they tell you what caused that? No, I asked the question. Mm-hmm. Um, for, and firstly, when he said there was no cure, I corrected him and I said, do you mean you don't have a cure? <laughs> Good for you. Yeah, and excellent. he uh, he was a very, I, I, I don't mean this cruelly, but he was a very arrogant uh, elderly gentleman in his chalk striped suit who barely even looked at me. He had no manner whatsoever. And he said, there is no cure. And I said, <laughs> okay, so it's for me to find a cure. He said, there is no cure. Yeah, I can picture him in my mind right now. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, that was it. So he said, uh, the best that we can do is to um, offer management of your condition. You will need to speak to your GP about that. Thank you and goodbye. Nice. Now, mastocytosis. It was as blunt as that. Yeah, mastocytosis uh, relates again to the mast cells building up under the skin and in the bones, intestines, and other organs. And uh, the symptoms include... uh, Various symptoms include one of the symptoms you had, Michael, was it uh, you, you were passing out as a result of it? Yes. Yeah. And basically, I was informed that it was the fight or flight mechanism uh, going horribly wrong. Yeah. So within the body, obviously, we, we have that ability to create adrenaline to give us a, a rush. But if you get and have, like I did, too many white blood cells as a ratio to red when the cells break down you get a ludicrous amount of adrenaline which becomes a toxin 
and causes your blood pressure to drop suddenly, which is why you have these attacks. Were you feeling tired a lot of the time? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Michael and I had uh, But a... I, I carried on. I, I, I didn't really let it sort of get to me. I tried to sort of, you know, live life as normal. Um, the problem with it was that it was so unpredictable. So there was an element where if you were under stress, so it was quite embarrassing because if somebody said something in a slightly aggressive manner to me or even confrontationally, I would just have an attack on the spot. Oh, no. <laughs> which was like, you know, everybody just thought you were blushing and being like a child. And, and then the next minute <laughs> you'd start shaking and they'd be like, oh, my God, what's the, you know, what's going on with this person? You know, as if you'd got some sort of mental <laughs> you know, oh, problem, you know? So how so often, tough, how often were you? Other times, yeah. other times, I could be literally doing, sitting in a chair and all of a sudden I'd feel my legs feel strange. And if I didn't lie down, I'd pass out. So that, that sometimes there were no triggers at all. No warning. Totally how random, how, how often did this happen? When it first started, it happened about every fortnight um, in terms of randomness. If it was a stress situation, it happened every time. So it could be pretty frequent. Um, so I would end up in ambulances because very often, you know, if all of a sudden you're walking down a London street, um, you know, as part of your day to day business, but all of a sudden you just have an attack. I'm ending up lying on the street, not being able to speak bright red. And the next thing I'd be in an ambulance. So. It was, and, and of course, then, of course, you know, DVLA were informed and I was, <laughs> you know, lost my license and all that sort of stuff. Um, so, yeah, it affected my life quite dramatically at that stage. Well, that's, uh, that's an unbelievable thing to happen to you. Michael, tell us the story of, uh, tell us the mustard gas story. I want to hear that. Yeah, well, um I had an, an accident where I uh, broke my wrist and hurt my back uh, with a fall. And um, I went to a chiropractor um, once the wrist had healed to try and get my back sorted. And after about four sessions, I went back on the fourth session and the chiropractor started to treat me. And within five minutes, she said, right, I'm going to stop the treatment now and we're going to have a chat. And I said, oh, OK, here we go again. You know, another strange thing. So she said, right, your body does not act in the correct manner. You clearly have got something wrong with you um, that means that your body does not react to a chiropractor. And you need to see a specialist, not just a regular doctor. She said, the good news is I think I know who you should go and see because he's a doctor, an alternative doctor that works with a lot of military people for when they come back from the wars, if they've got, you know, PTSD or mm. they're suffering from um, chemical problems, etc. And this person was down in Taunton, which was a long way for me to go. But anyway, I went, saw this chap, didn't tell him any of my history at all. Uh, and anyway, he within half an hour said to me, OK, right. Yeah, I can see what we've got here. Um, he said, can you just explain one thing? He said, you've got traces of mustard gas 
have come up in your body. And I said, hmm, okay, how's that? And he said, well, I'm just telling you, you have. He said, I'm not saying that's, you know, what, what's causing, your, you know, this, this inability to respond to a chiropractic treatment, but you have. You've got a problem in your body that's quite severe, and it, it stems from this. And as a result of your exposure to this, you've got a microscopic bacterial infection of your blood. And he said, and it is screwing you up. More, so he said, more happy I can news treat for that, you. but yep. I, can, I can only do what I can do to get back to, uh, you know, as best we can, and then we'll have to go from there. So obviously that's how it was left. And I, I carried on his stuff. I then told him about my chemo and he said, ah, a lot of chemotherapy has or is derived from the same chemicals that create, creates mustard gas. So he said there is a possibility that you've had an infected bag of chemo that's possibly caused this microscopic infection, but it's taken a long time for it to grow and manifest in the form that it has. Hmm. Interesting. The chemo uh, saved your life, but it also caused havoc with your life. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I must admit, the only other thing, as I said, there wasn't a lot of communication when I had my chemo. Um, but afterwards, when I was given the all clear, um, at the all clear, uh, the doctor said to me, now, I will just give you a word of warning. Um, after the sort of chemo you've had, you know, there are lots of cases, unfortunately, where people develop um, different symptoms. Uh, and also, um, sorry to tell you this, but but it does very often reduce your lifespan by possibly up to 10 years, if not more. So all negative, <laughs> nothing frigging positive, you know. So, uh, yeah, but that, that, that I do remember so well. Now, tell us the story uh, about um, Christmas of 2015 when you're when you almost died. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd gone through a, a bad spell. Um, so I'd been having much more regular attacks. And um, I'd been having them in the morning, which I'd never had really before. But I was having them on a regular basis. So I think it was the heat from a shower had all of a sudden started to cause it. Um, not, not always, but sometimes. <laughs> Um, or I'd just be about to be going out the door to uh, to work, and all of a sudden it would spark off. Uh, anyway, it got worse and worse, and I was meant to be going to Australia. Um, but because they were so frequent and I felt so bad, I didn't feel I was able to travel. Um, but, you know, I dealt with them uh, for all these years, so I didn't think any more than that. Um a couple of my neighbours had witnessed me having these attacks when we'd been sort of, you know, socially with them and all of a sudden it had happened. Um, so um, they were aware of my condition and what happened to me. Um, so when my wife went off to Australia on this particular um, holiday, um, she'd been away only for about a week. And uh, on Christmas Eve, I cooked myself a meal, had a couple of drinks went to bed in the normal manner, felt perfectly normal, went to sleep. And then 
and I had never had this before, I woke up. So I went to bed at about 10 o'clock fairly early because I was on my own. About 11 o'clock, I woke up knowing I was having an attack because I was shaking and I'd gone hot and, you know, I was getting a bit out, you know, a bit out of it. But I thought this is really weird because I'm lying down. Why would I be having an attack whilst I'm lying down? This doesn't normally happen. Anyway, I rung my neighbor next door with my mobile, couldn't get hold of him, um, didn't respond. And that was it. I don't remember anything else. Um, the next thing I knew I was in an ambulance. And apparently what had happened is I'd passed out and been lying there for some time because it was at one o'clock in the morning that my neighbor saw my light on, went and woke up um, the other neighbor who was a nurse and happened to have a key for the house. And they came in and found me unconscious and a complete mess in bed. Uh, so they called the paramedics and the nurse, you know, did what she could to try and make me, you know, comfortable. Um, but when the paramedics came, they, so I was told afterwards that it took them 45 minutes to bring me round and get my blood pressure to a safe level to move me. Wow. So, Michael, when did cannabis enter into the picture for you? Immediately after that, I thought, right, that is it. (laughs) I am going to do something. I am going to find a cure to solve this or to at least make life safer and, you know, me to be able to carry on a normal life. So I started investigating on the Internet. um, But, you know, with all these years later, obviously the Internet was out there, which it wasn't when this all started off, not in a, a usable sort of way. Um, Because obviously, you know, I'd I'd constantly try to look, but I really looked into it this time. And still with mastocytosis, nobody was coming up with anything that was of any use to me uh, other than a few other more, you know, drugs and things which people all admitted some worked, some didn't, some gave bad side effects, etc. So I wasn't happy about that. And then all of a sudden I saw the Rick Simpson thing. And I thought, hmm, interesting. I wonder if there's any link. So then I did more investigation and found an American university study on um, the use of cannabis or the effect of cannabis. Uh, And it stated that it had the ability to reduce the breakdown of the surface of mast cells. And that rang alarm bells with me because I thought, ah, if it can reduce the degradation of the mast cells maybe it will reduce the rate at which the toxin as it was to me is released into my body so went back to the rick simpson idea had a look at it made a few inquiries about cannabis got absolutely nowhere i've always been i'd been anti in a very big way um cannabis because i'd been sucked into the whole this is bad, you know, it's a, a demon. And, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd actually sort of criticised people for using it and taking it, I have to be honest. And the other funny thing about it is, you know, I then had to sort of think back because when I, when, when I had my mastocytosis diagnosed and the arrogant gentleman said to me it's incurable, I thought I, at that stage I've got to throw a bit of money at this just to find out if this is true or not. So I went to Harley Street uh, and saw a specialist there who confirmed that I had mastocytosis. But but at the end of the consultation, 
he said, right, I'm taking off my doctor's hat. I'm now talking to you as a friend. My father is an Indian um, doctor who treats people in India. And in, with your condition, he would be treating you with cannabis. And he said, but I cannot say any more to you than that because I am a Western doctor. Mm -hmm. The other thing was, my, it also rung the alarm bell. The kinesiologist that had a few years prior um, treated me for the recurrence used to smoke cannabis. And I used to be very critical of him for it, thinking this seems ridiculous. Why would a doctor be smoking cannabis? And yet this gentleman was very articulate, a very good doctor, very successful practice. But I never questioned it. I never thought, oh, perhaps this is part of, you know, what he considers to be of medical benefit. I just thought it was, you know, recreational. So, of course, you know, with putting all these things of the Indian doctor, the kinesiologist, and now Rick Simpson, it started to ring alarm bells that perhaps somebody had been telling me before, but I haven't been listening. Michael, when, so that's when I investigated it further. Yeah, and you, 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 started, uh, you started with cannabis, and uh, what form was that? Were you just smoking it initially? Uh, no. No, what I did, because I couldn't, uh, I didn't know anybody that, I didn't have a, a social group with, with cannabis in it. I just didn't, you know. I know it sounds crazy, but I didn't. Uh, I wouldn't, I didn't know where to get it. Um, I went on the internet and it all looked a bit, you know, um, unregulated. And uh, yeah, yeah I, I didn't want to go on the dark web to buy it. I thought I really don't want to go this route. So I didn't actually take any cannabis till I grew my own plants. And then I made made some oil, and um, then then I had the funny incident with 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 obviously administering it to myself with no knowledge, <laughs> because when I made my oil, um, there was still traces of the of the oil left in the bottom of the pan when I'd finished making it. So I swelled it out with olive oil, uh, whilst it was still warm, and put it into um, little um, dropper bottle. Mm -hmm. So when um, I'd done all this and I'd got my syringes with my full, you know, full proper oil, um, the first thing I did was say to my wife, uh, right, I'm going to just take a couple of drops of this that, you know, from the, with the olive oil, which is infused and let's give it a try, you know. So um, I was upstairs and um, I lay on the bed and I said to my wife, right, here you are, here's the dropper bottle. Just just give me you know, one or two drops and let's just see what happens. Anyway, she wasn't listening. Next minute, she squirted half the <laughs> no. into my mouth, right? No. And so I'm like, oh, jolly good. Oh, well, not to worry, hey? Oh, my God. Within 20 minutes, I couldn't, I couldn't walk. <laughs> I, I was completely out of it. The room was spinning. I was like, oh, my God. Anyway. Yeah. I just lay there and, and sucked it up, you know. Um, so, yeah, my first experience was not good. It was uh, a baptism of fire, should we say. <laughs> yeah, men, men tend to overdo it the first time, eh, Ian? It wasn't the man's fault. It was the woman's fault. <laughs> no, Michael, I, uh, I did the same thing. I took too much and I had the same problem as you. Couldn't get out of bed. No, no, it's a weird feeling, isn't it? Oh, it's, uh, it's very weird. What yeah, is but life? I have to say that 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 is the 
only really bad experience I've had because after that, I then was way more careful and I did it myself. And, you know, I, I started to take the actual thick black oil that I'd made um, on a cracker mm-hmm. with a little bit of um, coconut oil. And I used to put the most minuscule little bit on to start with and then gradually added a little bit more each time just to, to get the effect. Yeah? Yeah. What? Um, uh, then, yeah, I don't go ahead. Have, but, uh, you know, I now, I now mix it with uh, hemp seed oil, organic hemp seed oil, right. and put it into capsules um, with a cocktail stick. And, and so I have a half dose for the day and then a whole dose for nighttime and have them in, you know, day bottle, night bottle. Tell us about the difference between uh, your health prior to taking cannabis and after cannabis. Okay. Um, after taking cannabis, I have not been in hospital since. I can now, I still have attacks, but I only have them very mildly so mildly most of the time that I don't even have to lie down. I can sit them out. So I don't go bright red anymore. My eyes don't go red. I can speak normally. So I just get the shakes and I'm just careful. But I don't get any nasty situations anymore. I can do everything. I can fly. I go to Australia every year. Um, Yeah, I lead a, a perfectly normal life on cannabis The only problem is I always have this fear and worry that, you know, if I don't take my cannabis, then I'll revert back to how I was. And so, of course, traveling with cannabis and things makes me a little uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Yes, understandably. The other thing about it, though, is because we're only talking about the medical aspect in terms of my Mm -hmm. condition. But the other thing that I've found is that since taking cannabis, I have become much more relaxed and pretty well all my life. I've always been rather too nervous and too much of an overthinker. Mm -hmm. And I have found that by taking the very small amounts, I lose that and become in my, you know, a better person really and able to enjoy life more so much so that i wish to god that i had experimented with small doses and small smokes of cannabis in my earlier years and not been so judgmental because had i done that i think i would have been much better equipped through all those years of anguish yeah, I can uh, I can really relate to what you're saying because uh, I feel the same way, Michael. And uh, I had the same attitude toward cannabis that you did until uh, Corey came along. And uh, the the benefits to a person, both physically, emotionally, and uh, mentally, are just absolutely incredible. And for a person like you and I, for persons like uh, me and yourself, who are who were very rigid against cannabis use before, there are so many people out there who feel exactly the same way that we used to. Uh, absolutely, absolutely, and, yeah, totally. And it's so sad, isn't it? Because it is very sad. 
it is very you know, sad. If only they could have been, um, you know, or be given it in a in a very controlled and organized way. I mean, I I, I do smoke it now um, because if I'm out and about and I feel I'm getting a little bit edgy or I'm a little bit, you know, in need of a top up, should we say? Mm-hmm. I can have you know my own um, cannabis cigarette made by myself. I don't mix it with with other um, tobacco. Mine are pure. Mm-hmm. Um, mixed with the le- the leaves and bud, and I I actually even put use a little cigarette making machine and I I put them into um, <laughs> filter cigarette cases so they look identical to a normal cigarette. Oh, good for you, <laughs> so, Michael. The and detective. I have had a couple of funny instances with that because I, I was sitting in a pub once in the pub garden, so I wasn't mm. inside. I was in a pub garden with my children who were all in their 30s with their partners. And I was feeling a little bit edgy. Um, and I thought, oh, I'll just have a little puff with my pint. Um, and the <laughs> landlord was clearing up glasses and obviously smelt my my um, <laughs> weed and you know looked across it very disapprovingly. And I just pointed at the kids and I said, oh, kids will be kids. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that's a, that's a name there for a pub, you know, the Pint and Puff or the Puff and <laughs> yeah. Pint. Pint and Puff, yeah. that's right. Pint and Spliff. No, yeah. they've got the, 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 the cannabis coffee shops in Amsterdam. You could have, like, the cannabis pubs. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, there you go. Business opportunity for you, Michael. It would be a, it would be a whiz, wouldn't it? But, yeah. I mean, I think that the other thing is that I didn't realize is the difference between the types of cannabis. I mean, I grow... Obviously, I'm quite knowledgeable about the diff- the ones that I've grown. And, I mean, I, I mainly grow Northern Lights, uh-huh. um, you know. And I find it as a smoke. I don't get high. I don't get stoned. I just get slightly relaxed. Mm-hmm. And it's lovely. It's great, you know. It's really good. It's not – I think that everybody thinks you're just going to be sort of going crazy if you have yeah, a, a smoke. And I did. I thought that's what I thought, you know, wrongly, wrongly, you know. Michael, uh, before we conclude, I want you to tell the wonderful story about your father, your elderly father, and <laughs> cannabis. Yes. Yeah, my father's 92, and um, when he was in his sort of late 30s, early 40s, he had an illness and was in bed for a year because he was wrongly diagnosed, and he refused to go to hospital, so my mother had to look after him. Um, so he's very anti-doctors, and he's into um, his alternative medicines and herbal things so he unfortunately um i was speaking to him one day and he said oh i can hardly get out of bed this morning i've got such pain in my backside uh and uh he said i you know i really can't you know function uh so i said oh well, you need to go and see your doctor you need to you know blah blah, blah. he said oh no 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 i'm just gonna you know take some more of my stuff and blah 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 um, anyway, it didn't improve for about a week, and he was he was not able to go to his bowls, with, uh, green bowls, which he does. So all of a sudden, life became pretty unbearable for him. So I said to him, look, you know, I think that why don't you just have you know, a couple of my pills, and let's see if it gives you any relief or benefit. And he said, oh, I'll, I'll take anything at the moment. He said, I've been taking ibuprofen and paracetamol every four hours now for a week and it doesn't touch it. I am in so much pain, uh, and I don't want to go to hospital. So I said, okay, well, you've got nothing to lose. Give it a spin. So I gave him day pills and evening pills, you know, half dose, double dose. 
Uh, and he complained after a couple of days that he was starting to feel woozy was his term. And I said, well, that's a small price to pay, isn't it? You know, keep, keep, keep going. So um, anyway, he did keep going. And after a week, 10 days, he said to me, I am feeling so much better. I'm going to bowls today. The pain in my backside eased up. I'm running out of pills, though. Can you get me some more pills? <laughs> and, uh, you know, he, he carries on now. I've given him a slightly smaller dose now because I don't feel he needs to have, you know, the dose I was giving him before. He's hey. right as rain. Nice. Right. Good for him. Right as rain. Yeah. So, you know, Michael. you know, it's got to be worth it. The other, the other person in our family that benefits from it is my dog. I have a little chihuahua. Right. And soon after I started growing it, I noticed my lower leaves on my plants seem to be suffering. And then one day I caught him eating the leaves yeah. at the bottom of the plant in the garden. And this is the fussiest dog on the planet. You try and give him a piece of lettuce or anything like that. He will look at you as if you're mad. And yet he'll munch away on the leaves. No problem. Isn't that fascinating? He doesn't touch any other plant in the garden. Just, nope. just those leaves. Yeah. So he must know something that we don't. Yeah, it's instinctual, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know. Michael, it's been absolutely delightful to talk to you. You have a fascinating story, and I'm so happy that things have improved for you. Would you like to tell listeners anything in conclusion? Don't be afraid of this stuff. Um, you know, you don't have to be on death's door to take it, and you don't have to, you know, be suffering from major illnesses. Um, look into it carefully and, and you know, make sure you take just the right amount for what you need but it can be immensely beneficial, immensely beneficial, in, in my opinion. I just hope that the availability of it um, changes in the UK because it is a nightmare in the UK to be able to get, get it for any sort of benefit at all. Doctors do not want to know. They keep saying that it's improving, but I'm not seeing that. Mm. Mm. Michael, it's been our pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much. Not at all. A real joy to... Uh, listen to your broadcasts and uh, I think you're doing a brilliant job. Keep it up. Thanks very much. Thanks, Michael, so much. All the best, Ian. All the best, Gary. And thank you to Michael in the UK for sharing his story. And would you like to share your story about the use of cannabis and how it has helped you deal with uh, your specific issue? If so, go to our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com and send us an email and what helped you may help others. And if you'd like to donate to Cannabis Health Radio, you can also do so by visiting our website. Either a one-time donation or a monthly donation for as little as $5 a month. And thank you very much for listening to Cannabis Health Radio. Thanks for listening to Cannabis Health Radio. For more information and to search previous podcasts, visit our website, CannabisHealthRadio.com. Subscribe so you don't miss new episodes. And follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This podcast is made possible by donations from our listeners. If you found the information helpful, please consider making a donation in any amount through our website. You can also help us share our message by leaving a review on your podcast listening platform. We are very grateful for your support. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, host of Casually Baked the Podcast. If you're curious to explore the highly responsible side of cannabis, farming, and legalization, I'm here to help lighten the stigma and build your canna confidence. Download episodes now of Casually Baked the Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And journey with me through the evolving cannabis culture and discover how and why people like you are adding cannabis to their wellness toolkit. It's time to get casually baked.